Technology is advancing at pace across the energy sector. As we progress towards net zero, we want you to stay ahead of the conversation. Welcome to the Net Zero Technology Centre's podcast series, Transition Talks, where we'll be joined by industry experts at the forefront of the energy transition as we examine the challenge and explore the solutions. So, Paul, welcome to the, the podcast. It's great to have you on. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. And it's timely. It's timely because um, we know that you're talking a lot about the new report that you've just produced, Making the Switch, um, which is a fantastic document. I've read it. I have some questions, but it really does give sort of a robust call to arms in terms of what needs to be done to ensure a just transition when it comes to people and skills and jobs and so on. So great to have you on to talk about that. But first of all, let me ask you a very general question because you're a professor at the Robert Gordon University. You work in the Energy Transition Institute. So you know the university really well. You know its place in the local economy really well. I'm interested to hear what you think. How do universities actually enable a just transition to happen, the energy transition, what do you think their role is? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the kind of leading economies in the world, what's going to make a difference is having a super duper, highly skilled workforce. And of course, universities, colleges are absolutely critical. This is a kind of future feedstock for industry, for government, and for the third sector. So it's absolutely key. So Rome Gordon University, one of the leading energy universities in the UK, but also around in the world, what we feel is absolutely our role is just not actually providing the programs and the courses, but also the research, the thought leadership, and kind of helping people to start their own businesses so they're actually ready for energy transition. So for us, we believe making people ready for what is probably going to be one of the dividing moments in the future of this globe around how do we deal with the climate emergency and having our students ready to do that is going to be key. They are going to be the professionals, the leaders of the future, and then to have them ready educated to the level they need to be to, to make a difference is going to be critical. Super, that really brings us to the point where making the switch comes onto the scene because I like a little bit of background to this report. It's just been launched and there's a lot of talk about it in the media, but it's building on a previous piece of work that you've done as well. So if you could just take us through the, the I guess, the origin story and then where we are now today with this with the new report. Yeah, we get more and more of these questions around, you know, we see the energy transition, we see all the responses. What actually is going to happen? How do we make the story which is actually clear for the people who work in the industry? So over the last couple of years, we said this, you know, what we're going to do is going to make it really transparent. What is going to be required in terms of the number of jobs, the type of skills, and how the workforce needs to transfer from one sector to the other sector? So last year, we actually did it for the UK and published a report around the UK workforce opportunities and transferabilities, the number of jobs and the changes required. We're now particularly focused on the northeast of Scotland, which is actually one of the largest clusters in the country. So it's a microcosm of the industry, but it's actually talking about what is the future of the industry. So we spent the last six months working on it, launched it uh, in the middle of May and kind of really focusing around how does the northeast of Scotland get ready for what is an enormous opportunity associated with any transition, but also guide the workforce to how do they prepare for that to make sure they are well positioned, got the skills and are ready to kind of make this a success story. Yeah, what I learned from the report was a ton of things, but one of the things that really struck me is 160,000 workers in the UK in the oil and gas sector, direct and indirect, is that right? Correct. And roughly about 30% 
of those 160 are here in the northeast of Scotland, roughly about 28%, I think it is, in the report. So that really is around about 45,000 jobs, direct and indirect, here in the northeast of Scotland. So big impact if we had to turn the lights off and just flick the switch and say, let's not produce oil and gas anymore. And obviously that leads us on to how do we transition those jobs into a new energy economy? So that's really what you're trying to talk about in the report, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And the reason why I'm making the switch is so timely, because this conversation is so live around the energy security, the affordability question, the climate emergency, and again, the whole economic complexity we're currently dealing with. So this is giving the workforce in the northeast of Scotland the kind of a direction of travel what needs to be done. But it's just not the 45,000 jobs. So one in five in the region, we see work and support the oil and gas industry. But actually, the other people induce jobs as well. So if you think about the people who work in the hotels, the taxi drivers, people in the shops, it's actually roughly one in three jobs in the northeast of Scotland, which is kind of dependent on the oil and gas industry and the energy industry. So this is a hugely important industry to keep the economy going, both for jobs and value. And of course, if the industry changes, it has a direct implication on jobs in the region for the next so many years. And of course, we must change. Change is inevitable. It's going to happen. And so, so what we want to do is put a spotlight on it because the more time you have to prepare and plan for it, the more success you can actually create on the back of it. So that's why we thought it's really timely to put this out now because now we can say, is, what do we need to do to get the workforce ready for the wind sector, for the carbon capture and storage sector, for the hydrogen sector, but also how do we do the energy systems to connect all the dots here as well. So we see absolutely, if we get it right, we end up with like the same level or more jobs in the region. But we also put in making the switch report the comment, if we don't get it right, and we have a failure case, we actually end up with far fewer jobs than we currently have. So there's a real incentive to actually drive to the outcome we want. So let's switch gears a little bit and look at some of the, the outcomes or the scenarios that you've painted uh, in the report, because it's fascinating. I think you've got four, um, regional decline scenario, an incremental progress type approach. You have one scenario where we become a UK energy hub driving the energy transition, and then the global energy hub scenario to, to cap it off, which I think is the most ambitious of the four. But if you could just walk us through those, I, that would be very useful. Yeah, so start with the, um, the kind of uh, what we call the, uh, the regional decline. So this is a world where we describe it again, it's a scenario, it's not a forecast, this is just a possible outcome where we see a decline, what is not dissimilar what we've seen happening in where there was a coal mine or a steel factory. And basically, over time, the work stopped. And now, the oil and gas industry is not as extreme because it will slide down this, this decline in the industry, but the end point is the same. The journey might be different. So what you see happening is here, steady decline every year, close down platforms, decommission activity, and of course, we shift the kind of investment to other industries. And it kind of feel like when you live in Aberdeen, it's a continuous kind of reduction in workforce, a continued reduction in economic activity really challenging environment and other communities in the country have kind of experienced that. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is the global energy hub where there is lots of investment going on. It builds on the cluster we already have, it builds on the workforce, it builds on the capability of the supply chain, it builds on a whole ecosystem that's been carefully built up in the last 50 years in the northeast of Scotland. And it's a world where actually it becomes the major center, not just in the UK, but globally for uh, activity in energy transition. Major wind, major CCUS, major hydrogen, and of course, integrating that with the oil and gas as a bridge to a new low carbon future. So it is kind of the opposite world where export happens, where technology innovation is going to be really important as a center and a hub for activity. It's a place where all the 
the new innovation happens, the think tank for activity, it's a really positive place for building a legacy. So there's the two extremes. And then we look at two cases in the middle. One, one is what we call incremental progress, where you get your investment, you get your fair share of what everybody else gets, so you don't get anything less, you don't get anything more, you get your fair share. And you see activity happening, but it isn't massive, but it kind of keeps you going for another couple of years. So it's a world where, you know, yeah, things take to play out, but it is not kind of gets you to the state of UK or global hub. And the UK kind of energy hub is very much what Aberdeen has been doing with the oil and gas industry for the last couple of decades. Absolutely leading centre for the oil and gas, but making the leading centre in the UK for energy transition and particularly offshore energy activities. So it is a kind of a world we're kind of familiar with. But of course, the reason we describe the scenario is to say to people, if you want an outcome you want, you're going to have to start doing activity en route to want to get to that point. And if you don't do it, of course, there's a risk that you'll see economic activity kind of reduce quite dramatically. So that's interesting because when I read that, I kind of began to think to myself, well, isn't that the global energy hub, isn't that going to happen as a matter of course? Because we have some significant offshore wind projects. Scotland have just announced um, a huge licensing round. And you know it's probably the biggest licensing round in offshore floating wind in the world at the moment. So can we not expect to see that type of massive investment flooding into the northeast of Scotland? So the answer is maybe, but what we put in this report is saying is that Scotland is a really good example, 20 gigawatts over time to be developed, a lot of them in very close proximity to the northeast of Scotland, so you say it should be ideally positioned. But to make Scotland a reality, you're going to have to build uh, wind towers, turbines, you have to do all the work to make it happen. At the moment, we don't have any manufacturing, insulation, commissioning capability in this part of the world. So although we have some of the skills we can apply to it, we actually haven't got the opportunity to actually place the orders here with UK companies or companies in the northeast of Scotland to do the activity. And what we see from previous announcements is some of the work went to the Middle East and work with other parts of the world. So although we might have the wind farms here, we have the gigawatts capacity here, we don't actually have the contracts, the jobs, and the kind of activity taking place. And what we say in this report if you want to not only get the gigawatts, we also want to get the mega jobs. You're going to have to kind of just work in a way where you actually create the capacity of building, developing, installing, commissioning, and operating from this part of the world. There's a lot of angles to that to unpick. So one of them is obviously technology angle. Um, we're talking about some deep water. Floating offshore wind is going to be built in a lot of deep water. And I know there's a lot of technology development being talked about and being looked at. We don't have the right solutions right now. So isn't that an opportunity for us here in the Northeast to actually capture the innovation side of the puzzle? You know, if you want to innovate for floating offshore wind, maybe this is the place to come because we have the skill sets and experience on the offshore operations and build experience, for example. So I, I think the answer is yes, but there's not one or the other. I think we need to do play in the whole spectrum because then we need to be in the kind of designing, developing, manufacturing, installing, decommissioning, technology and operating element. We need to be across all of that, not the similar we do for the oil and gas. I think technology is absolutely key. What we're doing here is just incredible. To get to the targets outlined by the UK governments, to go from 11 gigawatts installed capacity now to 50 gigawatts by 2030, we need to install 400 wind turbines every year, 1.1, 1.2 every day of the year for eight years. It's an incredible activity for me to do. We haven't got an industry set up to do so. So it is actually the whole range of activity. Now, I think technology is going to be hugely important. But after we have the technology, we're going to need to do something with it. It's either using it very quickly in the kind of activity we have to install it or export it. So this part of the equation is not the only part. 
Okay. And one of the things that struck me when I read the report as well is that there is an analogy maybe we can think of in how the oil and gas industry developed in this part of the world as well, because when oil and gas was first discovered off the northeast of Scotland, there was no infrastructure, there was no supply chain. So what do you think we can learn from that experience looking forward to building up you know, CCUS, offshore wind, hydrogen as an industry? What kind of lessons do you think we can learn? I think the oil and gas industry is a brilliant example of what is possible by some incredible people doing some incredible things and incredible vision. So I think we need to take all those kind of winning ingredients and apply them to that kind of new energy sector. But there's a difference. And the reason why we think it's a difference is at the moment, particularly in the northeast of Scotland, a lot of the activity is around operating day-to-day oil and gas platforms facilities. Actually, two-thirds of the workforce is focused on OPEX. One-third is focused on building new activity. When you shift to that new world of wind, hydrogen, CCUS, it is actually going to be almost a decade of building new activity. So we see a shift happening from an OPEX workforce to a far more CAPEX-focused workforce. This is people kind of building far more vocational skills, far more skilled traits. Actually, that's what was required. So we can build the legacy, but we also need to do differently and actually apply the latest thinking, latest technologies, latest work practices. Because again, what we don't know in the gas industry, to some extent, is very transferable. But it's a different market, different segment, doing different things with a different workforce. Interesting. I mean, one of the things that strikes me as well about the report is, um, I guess it fits very neatly in with some of the work we've been doing here at the Net Zero Technology Centre, because we've been exploring different scenarios as to how the industry could develop from a technology perspective. And our vision is very much one of an integrated energy setup eventually when we see wind and CCS and hydrogen and oil and gas working systemically, really, to produce the energy that we need in the products that we need to to um, have a functioning society. So that leads me on to um, an, another question. I guess, do you think, you mentioned the, um, the rate of build that needs to happen for offshore floating wind. Do you think that could happen without the oil and gas expertise in sector? Um, the answer is it depends. It depends where you build it. So if we say is we want to have this real activity happening and we put all our contracts abroad, right? So the only thing we really need here is install it, connect it, so commission it and operate it. You can do an awful lot by just placing clever contracts and doing a lot of stuff. You can limit it by the supply chain capability. If the choice is you want to do a lot of activity here, you absolutely need the capability from the oil and gas sector. So because again, there are people, companies already who are very good at installing cables and or pipelines. That's already happening, installing footings for platforms or footings for wind farms, not similar. There's a lot of capability here. It depends how we want to develop it. Now, we believe, and the report is very clear, that we should actually have a high UK local content requirement. Therefore, we need to make sure we leverage the capability that already exists. But this is a choice. If you want the, the jobs in this country, if you want the taxes in this country, if you want the capability, supply chain companies in the country, we have the UK local content. And I think we need to have all capability in the industry. And I think the oil and gas industry is a key contributor. We need their project management expertise. We need their balance sheets. We need their supply chains. We need all of that. And we need the funding from it. So I think we need to find a way of winning outcome for everybody. We need to use all the capability that exists in the UK to get there. So that brings me on to the, the whole question about investment, because your report clearly argues for increased investment to make, if we want to achieve the global energy hub, for example, to make that a reality. And I'm, I'm getting the sense that that investment could come from government, obviously, but it should also be coming from industry, shouldn't it? I mean, we, 
we should expect to see these as business opportunities that large corporates you know, take up. And obviously BP and Shell and Total and others have done so in terms of Scotland. But what other investments do you think are needed from the installed base we have in oil and gas to make this energy transition happen? Yeah. To me, again, this is totally different than anything else. So the government set out some really ambitious targets. So 50 gigawatts of offshore wind, as an example, in, in the most recent British energy security strategy, really big number. Now, this is the opportunity to say, as for industry, how are we going to get there? So they do the what, now it's a question, how are we going to get there, how we do it? What we argue in this report, if we want to deliver this target, the money is going to be spent. It's either going to be spent in the UK or it's going to be spent overseas. It's going to be spent somewhere because you need to do the investment that drives activity and again, that drives the jobs. What we're putting forward in the report is actually saying is we already have an incredible cluster of capability in the northeast of Scotland. Use that cluster to actually develop that kind of industry, spend the money in this region, because otherwise you're going to have to rebuild the cluster somewhere else. So we're saying the money is going to be spent, focus the money where the capability is, capability is in the northeast of Scotland, for goodness gracious, let's use it because we might get a faster, we might get a better, we might get in a more efficient way. So actually it is not new money, the money is going to be spent, the money is already kind of identified by companies in terms of real activities. But yeah, what we now need to do is turn the kind of Scotland licenses all the ambitious into real action, into real commitment, into real contracts, and therefore into real activity. And I think in the Scotland licensing programme, there is a commitment to, I think, at least 50% local content, right? Yeah, so both in the offshore wind industry sector deal and the North Sea transition deal, there's a real commitment to UK local content, both 50%, and same for Scotland. And there's a real visibility, and there's going to be really modeled if that's happening. But that only can happen if we have the capability to develop and manufacture it here. If the capability doesn't exist, of course, it's impossible to place the contract. So the critical part from Scotland is not how we spend the money, but also build the manufacturing capability for whatever we believe we can compete in, of course, in the UK, so you actually can commit to your 50%. So yet it's very visible that it will rely on capability being available at scale in the UK before actually we want to install the wind farms offshore. That means we invest in manufacturing capability first before you install the wind farms. So here's the opportunity for the next generation of Ian Woods, for example, to basically step in and say, right, this is an opportunity for us to actually build something of global significance if we actually make this work properly. Yeah, I mean, if you look at all the macro factors, right, we're going to need, we're going to spend more money than we probably have done before. We're going to spend it in a very concentrated period. We're going, to, we're going to need more capability and we need a bigger workforce to do it. I mean, all things pointing up, we need to do more, right? So this is going to create some superb opportunities for entrepreneurial organizations, entrepreneurial companies, new technology providers to actually play in this game. There's room for all and need for all, literally, to do it. Because of that, the current capacity is not going to do it. We need more activity to make this happen. And it's on our doorstep. It's actually happening here. That is super exciting. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, I, I can think of um, you know my own kids, for example, where at the stage of going into university now and trying to give them some guidance as to what kind of things should they study. So if you were if you were doing the same, I know your kids have gone through the process, so they're through, they're fine, they've done their work. But if you had to be at the point where you were advising, you know, think about X, Y, and Z as a, as a career opportunity and think about studying something accordingly, what would your message be to young people right now? I mean, young people are super well informed, right? Because it's on the news, in the classroom, it's talked about all the time. Climate emergency, massive issue. To say to people, you're going to be helping to solve the global problem around the climate emergency is just quite something. We need to rewire, replumb, redo the energy system in the world. To play a role that is super. So joining the energy industry, 
saying is, I'm going to play my part to do that. It's going to be huge. There's going to be jobs, going to be huge opportunities, an enormous amount of money going to be spent. So for people to say is, I'm going to play a role and be a catalyst to make it happen, is something quite special. So would I recommend the people in the industry? Oh, yes. You know, I mean, I have the passion for the industry and hopefully I can share some of that passion. But when we see people coming in the industry, they want to make a difference. They want to get a better world. And they actually can see that this is a way to join the energy industry to do so. And we still need oil and gas workers, right? We still need that capability to enable this transition to happen. So recently, um, the chief of the UN, Antonio Guterres, has made a statement asking young people not to join the oil and gas industry. How would you respond to that? So... We need energy, right? And then, and, and again, in the future, we will have all that zero energy, but we will also need oil and gas as a bridge to that new kind of lower carbon world. So what we need is to have an energy workforce, and that is across the whole spectrum of energy. So for me, it is absolutely key for people saying is actually, we need we produce the cleanest, the greenest, the best way of doing oil and gas at the moment. So we can actually reduce emissions from existing operations. Many countries around the world actually using kind of all technology, 1970s, 1980s technology, we can actually kind of decarbonize quite quickly the oil and gas industry by using new technologies. But actually, that skill is completely transferable to the renewable industry. So I actually think the message for me is, you know, there's a massive need for people in the energy industry. People need to focus on energy careers. But oil and gas is going to be absolutely part of it. It's an energy transition. And the two words say it. It's energy and transition. It's not going to happen overnight. Therefore, we need to make sure we are doing providing the energy the world needs, but do it in a far more responsible, environmentally sensitive way. And, and that chimes with our experience here at the Net Zero Technology Centre as well, because we have tons of young, enthusiastic engineers being seconded to us to work on problems like emissions reduction and finding technologies to to help monitor, uh, well, identify, monitor, and minimise and eliminate methane, for example, methane leaks just one example. So there's a lot of enthusiasm for the work and uh, you know we've, we'll be interviewing quite a few of those graduates as we as we go along through the series. But um, one thing I would like to do just to kind of bring us right back around in full circle is we began talking about universities as being a fundamental part of the ecosystem for um, skills and jobs and innovation. I'd like to bring us back to that point because Aberdeen for a long time has been known as the oil and gas capital of Europe. We have an ambition to be the net zero capital of Europe. Do you think we can get there? Honest opinion. So the answer is yes, I do. But it is not going to be an easy journey. We're going to have to do an awful lot of things to get to that outcome. One thing we identified in making the switch report is we put a kind of a pathway. What do you need to do as a region to get there? And it's actually... It is quite clear. If you want to capture the business associated with wind, you have to do a certain amount of investment activity. Otherwise, you won't get there. If you want to do your hydrogen and carbon capture and storage, you're going to have to make investments, including in the kind of the uh, both green and blue hydrogen activities to get there. And that has to happen. You can be very visible around what needs to be done. So is it possible to be a global hub? Yes, but there's a lot of competition. But we have a starting point which is almost second to none. We have a 50-plus year legacy in the energy industry, in the oil and gas industry, and very few places have that. Usually, we use that starting point, because if we jump from there, we can go a lot faster, a lot smarter, a lot quicker. Everything is in place to make it happen. All the ingredients are there. It is for us to now turn it into a reality. I think that's, again, where universities have a key role to play. Getting the next generation ready to kind of even turbocharge the agenda is going to be key. And I think we all have a responsibility, and that's what I spend a lot of my day doing, mm. is to tell people, 
you know, this is what's possible. If we can make it work, this is going to be an incredible place to be and an incredible future for people as well. Super. Well, that's us come full circle. Paul Delu from the Robert Gordon University, thanks for coming on and explaining Making the Switch. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Transition Talks. You can listen to all podcasts at netzerotc.com forward slash podcasts, or you can subscribe to gain instant access to all the new episodes before they drop. See you next time.